Welcome to the Best Work Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Henley-Smith. The goal of this show is to uncover the personal stories of successful software engineers, founders, thinkers, and leaders who are all navigating their own working journey. Finding our best work is often a hidden journey, uncovered in fits and starts through an ongoing conversation with ourselves and the world around us. Every one of these episodes is packed with timeless ideas you can apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Daphne Earp Hopner, founder of The Vendry. The Vendry is a marketplace and professional community for corporate event planners. In our conversation, we discuss her three mantras as a founder, and we go into how dirt, new chapters, and embracing stress can define your working life. Daphne holds herself accountable to these mantras in a way that many of us fail to. Our time together distills her ability to rise above the here and now and think more deeply about where her work today is taking her. She leans into the tough decisions in life to follow the deep motivations she's identified in herself and shows how taking the difficult path can be the right one if it aligns with who you are. We're all pursuing our best work and trying to find it as we go go through. Um, and it's this like ongoing conversation that we end up having with ourselves. Um, what, what things do you say to yourself to help you in that journey? I think a lot of it is my personality. Like I have always been my harshest critic and, you know, held myself to the highest standards and always known that my professional identity was something that was a strong part of my overall self-identity and that like that would carry on throughout my life like I really wanted to feel that I was a good mother daughter sister friend and really good contributor like as a professional with that part of my life especially in my early 20s as I was figuring out my career I actually developed three sort of mantras that I told myself and like actually continue to tell myself and try to hold myself accountable to Um, And I'm happy to share those if that would be helpful. Yeah, would you? Um, So for context, you know, I went to a, I was always sort of in a high pressure academic environment, Uh, high school, a lot of people were going to top tier universities. Also, also I'll call it out like a sort of privileged environment from that perspective. Um, I went to Princeton, I studied engineering there and Princeton at the time was sending like 30% of their graduates to management consulting and investment banking. I bet. And I think like, especially in the major I was in, it was something like 95% went to go to work on wall street. And it literally felt like if you picture in star Wars where the stormtroopers are marching and like, they don't have their own identities within that because they're all going the same direction. To be totally honest, that's kind of what Princeton felt like to me. It was like, are you going to Goldman or JP Morgan? But like, it's going to be one of those two. And so I developed sort of an internal saying, which was don't be a drone. And that was something I could hold myself accountable to because it was like, you know, you have to think there are external factors that are going to drive a lot of your life, including like what career you choose and, and, and all that. But like, I didn't want to be a drone and I wanted to have some autonomy and like intrinsic values and thinking that led me to down like a life path that 
I actually wanted. And I think like the idea of being a drone was so unappealing that by telling myself that continuously, I sort of helped relieve some of that external pressure from, you know, how others might perceive like the best way of doing things. How did you not become a drone? What tools did you use to make sure that you didn't? I guess I would say I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. And so, you know, talking to entrepreneurs, like one of those conversations is what randomly led to one of those entrepreneurs giving me my first job out of college. I would also say, you know, I had a lot of family support in that mission. So my family was down, my family being my parents, um, were down to like, I had a management consulting job that was a really good offer and I chose to go to the pre-product startup and my parents celebrated that. And when you get, get that kind of input from the people most important in your life, like it helps make the, it helps support you in the decision that you want to take. And I think that can be hard. Like my mom's an immigrant. My dad is like, you know, self-made single mother in, in, in Florida. Um, and so there, you, you could have a situation like that where they're like, no, take the safe path, like, you know, make money. Um, and instead, you know, they said, do the riskier thing. You're 22 and, and we support you. And that, that also means a lot. And were there any things that weren't to do with your environment necessarily, but were kind of conscious decisions that you made in order to not become a a drone. Talking to lots of entrepreneurs is what landed me that first job out of college, which I ended up staying at for seven years because the startup did very well. I guess as you sort of press me on this, I think about the next big moment in my life, which I was 29, I think, and the startup that I joined had done very well. So now we were a public global company. It's called Yext. And I had been part of the founding team. And so, you know, there was a lot of loyalty from the co-founders to me and also obviously from me back to them. Um, I was paid well and had a lot of like autonomy as which office I would work out of and what job I would do. And honestly, like talk about restless nights. Those were the nights where I couldn't fall asleep at night because I was so stressed and I was stressed because I was like, I'm still in my twenties and I'm like way too comfortable at work. Like this is not how one like pushes oneself to achieve, you know, professional dreams. Like when you're in your twenties and you're just like, yeah, I know how to do my job and I make good money and like I could stay here forever. That made me deeply uncomfortable. And so I actually like, you know, I left the company um, and started my own company. <laughs> At what point did that challenge stop? There was plenty of opportunity within Yex for me to push myself. There was certainly no lack of challenges that I'm sure Howard and Brian, the co-founders, would have given me to take on. I had always been a quasi-executive on the leadership team, and and I was not willing to take some of those opportunities that would have dropped me a lot further down in the organization, I guess is the truth. And so, yes, there was plenty of stuff I could do within the company that would challenge me, but it might remove me from like a coveted leadership position that I'd carved out for myself. And I guess the truth is I didn't want to do that. So I didn't take them. And so, you know, why did I become comfortable? It's because I like 
held on to the area that I owned because I wanted to go to the leadership offsites. I wanted to be included in those higher level conversations. And there were not other spots at that level of the organization that I was the best fit for. And honestly, I would say to the company, to the employees at the Vendry, my current company, like I, like if somebody's at a company for 10 years, honestly, they should leave. And, and I would say that to the best employees at the Vendry, because Another thing I'll say is I think while no founder wants to lose the institutional knowledge that comes with somebody that's been there for a long time, if they're good, you know, the, the, the value that they bring to the company every day, I do think that they respect when good employees leave. And they might not even, they might say that, they might not, but they respect the people that take initiative to like push themselves elsewhere and gain new experiences. It's so very difficult to create those new chapters in your life from within. Yeah. How did you do it? Making myself uncomfortable and yeah, I mean, I would just say like, for example, when I left Yext, I Googled yoga teacher training South Africa because they're Cape Town. So no way. Somewhere in the Southern Hemisphere. I wired money to some bank account and then realized like, shoot, I'm not sure this is a real company. And then my husband and I got on a plane and just went there and it turned out to be a real studio. But yeah, I mean, you know, again, not everyone is in a position to do something like that, but I, I value discomfort, I guess is what I would say. And, and I, I, I feel like it's important to be in tune with your gut in tune with your psyche and like, you know, whether you're jumping on a plane to Cape Town or doing something more locally within, you know, your context, I think there's always ways to make yourself uncomfortable and push yourself that way. Was there a trigger moment? Trigger moment for me leaving Yext, honestly, was when I got a raise, which is really funny. No way. I actually talked to somebody last night who works at Credit Suisse. This is a friend of mine. He called me having like a total meltdown and it was because he'd gotten a raise. And he was like, you know what? I should be happy. And instead I'm not happy. And that is an aha moment. And it's not that I was unhappy at Yex, but it was, it was when I noticed I was comfortable, too comfortable for my liking. So anyways, that's, but I do have some other mantras I can share. Okay. <laughs> um, so the two others that I have sort of like told myself over the years um, and, and passed on to others when, when helpful is this is literally, I just made it up to myself. One is feel the dirt or, or put, put your hands in the dirt or something like that. And it's just the spirit with which I approach the places I live and the things I do, which is like to try to not live and do them at a superficial level. And like two examples of that on a personal level, when I moved to New York after college, like I lived in East Village, I don't know, I, I hung out with a lot of the people I hung out with from university. And I realized like I was living a very, very small and superficial version of what New York City was. And I, I just like wanted to get to know the city better. Like most people I hung out with were not from New York City. It was just, it was, it was one, one, one of many versions of New York City. And so I started like volunteering very actively and I got involved with an organization called New York Cares. And I was like, I would wake up on a Sunday morning, take a bus to Staten Island, like do something at a local school of kids and come back. But I just like, I had the drive to actually 
dig levels deeper and get to know the city and the people within it in, in the different places. And I think that that translates to me as a founder in that, like, I will never stop having user conversations. I will never stop using the product myself. Um, and like, I, I swear to that, like, no matter how big we get, like, I never want to lose touch with like, you know, every sort of layer of our organization down to the, obviously the end user experience. Maybe there's a part to it too where you need to not lose touch with what's motivating you in the first place. Totally, totally. And that's even, you know, there's there's many layers to that. It's like, you know, my dad was an engineer at a consulting firm and he had he had become an engineer to do engineering and then he found himself like just managing people and he quit and, and became an engineer again in his own company. But all this to say that, yeah, I think even professionally as you sort of maybe rise up in an organization and spend more of your time recruiting, managing, doing people work, you can always like keep your hand in something. Yeah. To your point, like remembering why you got into this in the first place. And it might not have been to be a full-time people manager. Is that why you started the Vendry? I started the Vendry first and foremost, because from the time I was probably in like high school, I, I like identified as an entrepreneur and like wanted to start my own company. And, and, you know, people say don't start a company because you want to start a company, start a company because of the mission. But I mean, there's my truth. Like I always wanted to start a company. And when I went, when I basically decided to start a company, I had a couple ideas and they were like really, really different ideas. Um, one was, I mean, software for universities. One was like a small business reward system network. I mean, just completely different. And the process that I went through to decide what I was going to put like my life's work behind was just, I would say like to stress test those ideas, like put together pitch decks, pitch my friends over their lunch breaks over zoom. Actually funny enough, this was before the pandemic, but yeah, I guess I was doing a lot of screen sharing on zoom and you know, then I was getting married. My head was in the events world and like, I, I feel like I pretty quickly identified big, big breakages in a trillion dollar global market. And so, you know, as a venture backed company, you need to believe in the commercial opportunity because that's how I funded myself. That's how my partners are, are, you know, in part bought into this. And so I did feel like I saw that avenue to build a multi-billion dollar company. I will also say there's like mission behind the Vendry too. And, you know, we're in an industry that professionally is 80% women. Like we're in the live event space and I'm, we are the opposite of the metaverse company. Like I have, negative enthusiasm for metaverse stuff. And yeah, I'm sure people will make a lot of money there, but like, I don't want my kid living in the metaverse. And so from a mission perspective, like it taps into something I care about personally, which is like supporting other women professionals. That's me. I don't speak for the company there. It's not going to be everyone at the Vendry weather here, but then like, I believe in the power of live events. And like, if I can put my life's work behind, like getting people to meet face to face, the way I put it is like, that stops wars. At a personal level, why is it that that matters so deeply to you as an individual, that mission? I, I guess I sort of mentioned two things, but on supporting women professionals, like we still live in an unequal world. And I think I actually come into this with 
a lot of privilege. Like I have just been afforded, you know, a good education, a supportive family, you know, the company I worked at in my twenties did very well financially and I benefited from that. So like I've been given a lot and I also was just like sort of born confident. And so not, not every person sits in a room and has like the natural confidence that I do. And so to the extent that I can use like sort of those innate characteristics and the circumstances that I've built around me or was born into, like, I would love to use that to support the women who I can identify with on many levels that, like, weren't given the same. I think that's amazing. Most people wouldn't be born with the confidence and yet still have the self-awareness. I have another mantra. If you want to hear my third. <laughs> yeah. I want to go all the way. What's the third? <laughs> all right. The third one might show you that like I'm a high strung individual, but it's channel your stress. And I think that that has been a very important one to me as a mother, as a founder, like I have chosen to put myself in very stressful positions a lot. <laughs> like I launched the vendry a week before giving birth. Like anyways, so as somebody that like tries to challenge myself a lot like that and, and holds myself to high standards. Like that means that I like could be stressed a lot. And I think actually with time while, yeah, I still am stressed sometimes. Like I've actually learned how to, how to like think about that and what I would say is channel my stress. And so, you know, you only have so much capacity to stress about something and I'm just like, this is not worth it. And I basically like throw it off the table. Like you, you don't have capacity to like worry about everything. And so I think it's allowed me to like keep my eye on the prize, think about the North star and just, I don't know. I just literally like throw things off the table and say, I'm just not going to stress about it. And actually somehow I've managed to do that. How do you prioritize all of the things on your plate there and decide what to throw off. I have a big support system. My mom lives with us. Like I'm going to call out that there is a support system around me that allows me to, you know, place responsibilities on other people. Um, you know, we have a nanny. I can, you know, have a housekeeper one come once a month so that I'm not spending you know, half the weekend cleaning every weekend. And so like there are different ways to build your life. I've chosen to try to make a lot of money and frankly, like use some of that money to take stress off my plate. The other thing I would say is just like a continuous, continuous conversation with people whose advice matters to me. And so with the Vendry, like I feel very, very fortunate about the suite of investors that we have. They are people that I consider friends, mentors, and like true partners in my startup. And so like I talk to them all the time and I have transparent conversations with them where I talk about like how I'm thinking about things strategically, what our company goals are in this case. And I truly have tried to refine the art of listening to feedback. And also you have to like sort of have the confidence to know when to take feedback and react to it versus take feedback into consideration and like say, all right, like I, you know, I, I 
politely disagree or have more context than you do. And so I'm, I'm not going to um, take that bit of advice. As you navigate your own journey, the vendry is such a large part of it yeah. that at times it must be very difficult to distinguish between what is your own life's work and what is the work of the vendry work as i said earlier is like a big part of my my professional identity is like fundamentally mixed with my overall identity my husband's also an entrepreneur he's an architect with his own company and so our household is like there there's no there really is no line between who we are personally and professionally. And yet I have a five month old and a two and a half year old. And so that doesn't mean that I'm like sitting there on my computer next to them. I, I wanna emphasize that doesn't mean that I work all the time, but, but I don't think of it as like a black and white barrier. And I think I bring that even into the workplace, like at Yext, I mean, the people I worked for, the people that were my peers and the people that worked for me are all included in my suite of best friends, like invited to my wedding, like, you know, at all levels. I hired many of my best friends to work at Yext. We went through like challenging things together there. They're still my best friends. And even here at the Vendry, like I have either become friends with many of our coworkers who I guess all technically report to me because I'm the CEO. Um, and I hired one of my very good friends to be our CMO. And I just believe like, if you're a good person, if you're able to have honest, direct conversation, like there doesn't need to be a line. Do you think that's the case for everyone? Probably not. I also think I'm in a very, like to be able to work and make money for a thing that you love doing is an extremely privileged position. Most people in the world do not have that choice. And so, for most people in the world, work is about making money. I would wish for everyone that the thing they're doing, you know, 40 plus hours a week is like also consider their life's work and passion. Like that's just not reality. And so I fully respect and want to acknowledge that like not everyone has the privilege of choosing a job that they like would love doing. Um, so no, it's not the case for everyone. But like, I think certainly with everyone that I interact with professionally, like I think I do everything in my power to try to express gratitude for the work that they do um, and hope that they feel good about it. What lessons do you take from your own personal journey that you apply it, that you apply now? I think the biggest thing I would say is now as a founder, I think a lot about the culture that we're building here because really as founder, you have two, you know, cohorts that you're serving. You're serving your customers or in our case, users of our site, community members, and then your employees. And like, you know, we ask a lot of our employees from their time, for their energy, their brain power, and as a founder, you're not leaving the company. <laughs> I mean, at least not on my own accord. It's not my plan. Mm. And so I like every day when I wake up and I leave my kids and come to work, like I want to come to a happy environment with like motivated, smart people that push me. And in the end, like our company culture is the foundation of that. It's the foundation of our ability to really like, recruit good people, to be additive professionally, um, and, you know, to, to the workplace, we are an in-office company for the most part. Culture is a challenging one. Like I, I don't, there's certainly a lot of things in like the broader professional 
and, and societal dialogue debating what is, you know, cultural issues, right? Like, how can we build a diverse workforce? How can we, like, what is our remote hybrid in-office policy? Like, you know, we have the great resignation happening right now. And so, like, how can we build a culture, for example, that employees can benefit from, for example, here in the office while still respecting their own autonomy and the fact that they can often do work from, from their computer without needing to trudge into the office? Um, so I don't have answers, but I spend a lot of time thinking about it and, and really, you know, want to be deliberate in the decisions we make there. What advice from your own working journey would you give to your kids? An internal struggle I have. My oldest is two and a half. So haven't actually imparted any professional advice on him yet. You got some time. Yeah. <laughs> but like I was so, yeah, I guess I was always so driven professionally and in a business sense. So always in a career that if, if I was successful would also be financially rewarding all these things. And I wondered to myself candidly, like if my son says, says he wants to be a rock star, you know, like how, like the, I want to be a parent that supports my kid and like in, in whatever journey they want to take. Um, and I don't want to be the parent that's told Bruce Springsteen, like you shouldn't try to become Bruce Springsteen. Um, and I think that's for, for me to figure out. I don't have an answer. Um, I don't honestly know yet what, what sort of parent I'll be in that sense, but I know what sort of parent I want to be. And so I'll, I'll, I'm going to try to be a supportive parent. Thanks for sharing your whole story. <laughs> Daphne, was this a um, therapy session? <laughs> most, <laughs> most critically, your mantras. Uh, I uh, won't forget them. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. The Best Work Podcast is produced by the team at Cord. I'd love your advice on how we can make sure the Best Work Podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work. Email me at benatcord.co. You can also find a transcript of this conversation, insightful video content, and more at core.co slash insights. Thanks for listening.